to end if love remains a unique show spotlighting people ideas science culture and art your host mike lovett Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you are listening to that great podcast in the sky and if love remains, I am your host, Mike Lovett, your sometimes virtuous, all occasionally vile, but always Vero host, that would be me, yes, me, and with your help and the things that you do, which is to, what are the things, you know, subscribe, share, etc., etc. if you do those things, man, let's get the word out about this podcast, I'm very excited about the the people and the ideas and the the concepts that we cover i it's it's information i think needs to get out um it's it's principles and i love being principle based because you can apply it to any situation and we have the legend back the 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 teacher of liberty uh dr joe wolverton thank you my (laughs) friend for being here today thanks mike it's been it's been a minute or two since i've been with you so it's nice it is. It's it's been a few minutes, yeah, for sure. I, you know, it's important for me to say this because I I, I just appreciate all the, um, you know, the information, the the, um, you know, just just the 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 books, the the things that you put into my life has been so um, fortuitous. Like it's been just just what I needed. It's been the 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 um, it, it's just food for the soul, man. It's, it's great stuff. And, and, and I'm excited to talk about what we're going to talk about today. So check, check Joe out, Joey out at, at, uh, his podcast is the teacher of Liberty podcast. You can find it on YouTube. He's a writer for the new American. Um, and, uh, he's got some amazing books, the real James Madison. Um, what matter of madness? Did I get that right? What degree of madness? What degree of madness? Ah, and then of course his, uh, his grand opus itself, the founder's recipe. Um, welcome back, brother. Thank you, man. Yeah, um, I, I likewise owe you know gratitude to the, uh, you know the people. It's funny when I think about it. No one ever introduced me to these books in a direct way, the way I introduce people to them, which is funny to th- you know think about because I never had that moment where a teacher said to me read Cato's letters or read Algernon Sydney. Rather, it was, um, you know, look at the index of the Federalist Papers and see what names you don't recognize. And that sort of, you know, that was a little breadcrumb that led me. And I, I really do give credit to the Lord to for him leading me to these things. Because, And I'm thankful for Dr. Vetterly, who had the patience to, I mean, a guy like that, you know, particularly... He, you know, famous and didn't need to mess with a freshman, and he did, and grateful to him for that. But, you know, I realized talking to my wife the other day, I'm like, I I never really had that moment where someone's like, here, read Cato's letters. It was it, it was just me finding them and, and being like, what the heck? You know, like, yeah. why? 
why aren't we? I mean, they're, they're, you know, they're written in modern English. It's like, it's not like we can't understand them. And, um, but anyway, my, like you say, the founder's recipe is the whole, I mean, I believe the reason that I exist, you know, one of those things you think that God isn't redundant and I, I stay in my lane, but I like my lane a lot. Uh, I like studying the things that the founders uh, studied and things that made them who they are. And and Cato's letters, uh, there's nothing above it. I mean, maybe discourses concerning government by Algernon right. Sidney, and that's about it because uh, there are historian after his, you know, and that's the thing. You, learn, you know, nobody writes about them anymore. Nobody, you know. There's no biography of Trenchard or Gordon. There really are no, no, you know, there's small biographies written hundreds of years, you know, 150 years ago in, in some biography of uh, British um, members of parliament and stuff. But the um, there's nothing, you can't just go and find out. You can go on Wikipedia and they'll tell you a little bit about it. Not much. Much of the stuff on there is very bland. Um and so finding Cato's letters and then reading them is, I mean, that's what set our founding fathers on the path that, in, that led them toward independence. The, I mean, you have a, one historian calls it the dress rehearsal for the revolution, you know, because these came out in the years just before our founding fathers were born. Right. You know, these were when our founding grandfathers were, you know, just about to have their children. And, you know, Heavenly Father knows how to work his his business and uh, had these come out just in time so that these founding fathers of ours were raised reading these things as kids, you know. So by the time they were in what we would call third grade, they they knew Cato's letters. Yeah. Know, yeah. As you talk about it, it reminds me of, of the story of, of, you know, I'm going to relate everything to music because, you know, that's what I did. Right. But, uh, but it reminds me of the story of Bach. You know, Bach um, was lost for a long time. Like people um, don't realize, like when, 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 when Mozart or, or, or Beethoven, when they talk about Bach, they're usually talking about his, his son. Right. <laughs> and, right. um, and it, and what and they knew of him. They called him Old Bach or or Papa Bach or something like that. But but and 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 he was really the founding of Western music as we know it, um, in in a real real way. Um, like every like every there's Bach and then everything, you know, A B after Bach. After, oh really? Um, okay. Oh yeah yeah absolutely. Um, but they um. It really when, did he, took, when did he live in relation to like Mozart and Beethoven? So he was like a generation before he died in 1750. Okay. Um, so I think he, I think he was born 1680, 1705, something okay. like that. Okay. Um, so that's when he lived and, and that, that music and, and that. Baroque so he music. would be he, around the age of Trenchard and Gordon. Rough. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He would have been. And, and it was, um, you know, him and Handel, um, you know, those guys were the biggies at that time. And then, and then it, again, it was, it was completely lost and it took um, Mendelssohn and some other kind of people who, who found him, revived him in the mid 19th century that mm. kind of brought him back to, back to prominence. So I'm going to call you the Mendelssohn 
of the Mendelssohn. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the guy that's bringing it back and, and, and reinvigorating the spirit I, of liberty. Man. I'll take it, man, because these are, these Cato's letters, they just, uh, you know, you talk about the new American, they're gracious enough. I mean, they're a news magazine, but they were gracious enough over there. I've been writing for them for 20 years and they let me recently do a couple of articles. One just sort of reintroducing Cato's letters to their readership. And, and the second one being, it was the anniversary of the publication of their very last letter. And, um, it was powerful. You know, their last yeah. letter was saying, this is what we've tried to do. Whether we've done it or not, time will tell. And of course, they get to, they get the credit of being the most, you know, the most often quoted authors by the pre-revolutionary generation. I mean, they were, everybody knew them from Savannah to Boston. I mean, it was... Yeah. It was a thing. They they get that credit. I mean, people like to turn to John Locke. I think, you know, John Locke gets a lot of the credit that otherwise should go to Trenchard and Gordon, to Algernon Sidney, to James Harrington. Um, but for whatever reason, I, I you know, John Locke ended up being the guy that gets a lot of the credit that, frankly, he doesn't deserve. Much of what he wrote was very... Uh, very sort of, um, oh, what would you call it? Sort of derivative mm. of of better right. authors, and not nearly as. Oh, who went away there? There you go. Somebody went uh, away. Mike, are you there? I, I'm here. Can you hear me? I cannot see Mike anymore. Oh no! I wonder if Mike can hear me. It shows my little thing. I, doing I see you, Mike. I do not see Mike. Let's see. Oh, okay. Pass. I'm. Nope. I don't see Mike. But anyway, they, um, you know, his his work, John Locke's work, was very derivative, uh, and frankly, he watered it down compared to if you read John Locke's two treatises of government compared to Trenchard and Gordon or compared to Algernon Sidney, you see that that Locke's brand of republicanism, you know, small R, Locke's brand of fighting tyranny is. Uh, watered down compared to Sydney and Trenchard and Gordon. So we are going to continue our, uh, our journey through Cato's letters. We're going to be talking about uh, letter number 15. And let me just ask you a question. Should there be any limits on our rights? Let me just state as bluntly as that. Well, should there be any limits on our rights? Yes. Uh, I mean, the limit that even that they mentioned in number 15 is our rights are unlimited uh but well they're limited only by we are not allowed to use our rights to harm another or to harm the rights of another to limit the rights of another right so our our right to to anything cannot be used to harm the the life, liberty, or property of another person. That should be the limit of our, of our rights. Um, you know, there should be no, the freedom of speech. I don't think it is illegal to yell fire in a theater. I think, you know, people have said that because I think when people, when people get in power, 
even you know if you read history even the 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 democrats with a small d republicans with a small r once they start getting that taste of of power they want to do whatever they can to hold on to that power and one of those things including includes curtailing speech you know no one was a more powerful uh advocate of american independence and liberty than john adams but he's also the guy that gave us the alien and sedition act right <laughs> so i mean no one is immune no one is immune from that and so one of the first acts of a tyrant is to curtail the freedom of speech, uh, freedom of the press. And that's why those two things were at the top of the list of rights to expressly protect in the Constitution um, because of that. There, there's an inverse proportion. The, the freedom of speech is inversely proportion to tyranny, right? The more tyranny, the less freedom of speech. You, you can count on that literally every time. And yep. um, so, no, there should be no, you know, yeah, there should be no limits other than harming another person's life, liberty, or property. That's right it. on. Yeah. And, and, um, so let's let's get into this. Um, and I think this first paragraph is really powerful. And, okay. and it was such a great summation. Um, it is Thomas Gordon. He says, without freedom of thought, there can be no such thing as wisdom and no such thing as public liberty without freedom of speech. Um, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Without freedom of speech, which is the right of every man as far as uh, by it, he does not hurt and control the right of another. And this is the only check which ought to suffer, the only balance which it ought to know, which is exactly what you were describing. Right. And and then he goes on to, to um, talk about how speech and property are, are intertwined. And, and um, talk about that for a second, because that might be not as intuitive to a modern reader. How, why is speech and property so uh, intertwined in the way that, that they're talking about? Well, because um, as you are allowed to speak freely, you are allowed to identify and to communicate any threat to your property. Whereas if there are threats to your property, but you are not allowed to identify and broadcast to others the identity of that threat to property, then their property is likewise threatened because they cannot be alerted to the danger, right? And that is the idea. The idea of, you know, the ancient Latin maxim of, you know, divide them so that we might command them. You know, that that's the idea. Keep them from communicating. I, I swear, if you look to ancient history, there is no tactic more common among tyrants or would-be tyrants than to keep the people as, as insulated as possible from each other. That way you can have no viral spreading of, of 
critical information that might prepare the people for a defense against the coming despotism, right? So just isolate that. And so your property is always threatened when your freedom to speak is threatened because you are not allowed to warn your neighbor. And he might not see the gathering storm, right? Right. He might not see that person X who is attacking your property is about to attack his as well, particularly in a couple of ways. Number one, if you're not allowed to say those things. Number two, if you are punished for saying those things. And three, if you've lived a life where you don't have a relationship with your neighbors, you have no, there's no, um, there's no motivation for you to warn him because you don't know him. And that's how they want it. They want it either for you not to know your neighbor or to simply loathe him because he is a group you've been trained to, to loathe. Yeah. And without knowing him as an individual. So when they say your freedom of speech, I mean, they, they mean that in so many different ways, but principally a person is unable to communicate and identify uh, threats to liberty. And that places the property and the liberty of everyone uh, in the crosshairs of the tyrant because those of us already under attack are not able to communicate that attack to others. So, so the idea of having, um, I'm thinking of like maybe China or something like that, where they have, you know, an authoritarian government um, that definitely clamps down on the freedom of speech, yet they, they allow people to have property or, or have, you know, some semblance of um, capitalism, shall we say, um, that, you know, that, that really it, it is, it's a facade um, to think that like something like that is sustainable. Right. It, it's, you know, for sure that, well, I mean, he says, right. That the, whenever, whoever would overthrow the liberty of a nation must begin by subduing the freedom of speech. That's the thing. Step number one is control the language. However, you're able to do that. It's a, it's a wise thing. I know, for example, if you read in second Maccabees, uh, if you read in Second Maccabees chapter 4, when Jason the tyrant goes to take over Jerusalem, uh, the first thing he does is ask uh, the king permission to establish a gymnasium and to have that, which is a school, to establish a school and have the kids forced to go to that school, right? That's the first thing he does. And yeah. that's the first thing any tyrant would do, gain control of communication, whether it be the, the words, the actual language, and whether it be, you know, the meaning of those words, and then the ability to communicate with others, right? Just isolate, isolate, isolate is... And, the, and the more you can, can consolidate that, um, those information paths, you know, for example, you know, it used to be um, you know, growing when we grew up, there was, you know, the three main channels. And, and so everything you heard, there's three sources of information and maybe two or three major newspapers in America. Right. Um, 
you know, that, that it was pretty easy for one person or, or for one group of people to control the, that, those mediums of, of communication. Right. Um, and, and we kind of had a golden age, I think for a short time where, where all of a sudden with the internet things just, you know, exploded lots of blogs and, oh, and yeah. podcasts and things. And we still have some of those things, but unfortunately, like a lot of those has been consolidated again into Twitter, Facebook. I mean, there's probably YouTube. There's maybe three or four major outlets that, that everybody uses in order to communicate. And if the government can control those three or four, I mean, you're 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 sucking out the 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 speech of ninety percent of of the people. Right, and typically it's all you know. The government will. They're never going to come out. A tyrant's never going to come out and say, "Hey." So that I'm able to impoverish you and enslave you, I'm going to control speech in this. No, no one's going to say that. They're going to say, in order to protect national security, in order to protect um, us from terror, in order to protect us from insurrection, in order to protect us from uh, profanity, in order to protect us from speech that that is offensive they're always going to paint it as themselves being a protector and ultimately i mean if you think about it mike i mean ultimately portraying themselves as protector is does two things number one it erodes the family structure which is good for them and number two it provides a false family structure for those who have none and those people have none because of generations of governmental policies designed specifically to destroy the family. And so you've got these pincers. The government is protecting you and lots of people like the protection because they've never known protection because They've never had a stable family. Right. It's, and it's that, that, that protection starts to look more and more like a prison every day. Well, to those of us who know. Right. To, the, to, you know, to many people, prison is an upgrade. I mean, I'm serious. Yeah, that, no, that's, that's Machiavelli. True. Machiavelli said, you, it's nearly impossible, he said, to free a people who become comfortable with slavery as it is to enslave a people who, you know, love liberty. And so that, you know, my thing about Cato's letters is I, I use their letters as a, like, as if they were seeing into the future. It's my little crystal ball. I, I don't worry so much about, what the situation was in 1720 that motivated motivated them to write these things i don't care very much mm -hmm. i mean it's a it's a um, ancillary sort of interest of mine what what was happening but primarily my purpose for reading them and for sharing them is to use the past as prologue right. you know to say this is going to happen again here is you know to prepare people and say okay we've learned this is how they this is how they operate so maybe we can stop them this time 
so yeah so to use this as a a way of warning people because primarily that's why they don't want this stuff taught in school is so that none of their deeds are brought into the sunlight as trenchard and gordon explained they don't want people having advanced warning of the coming absolutism because it is that it goes from uh you know like in england how they say it goes from catholics are bad we don't want catholics to rule us we now have a guy who is a catholic pretending not to be but the peop the people in power are glad that he's in power so rather than say hey you know what let's accept catholics as rulers they know the people wouldn't support that so what do they do they make it illegal to speak of the king as a catholic they make it illegal to talk about the religion of the king in your home that's right they they benefit they reward those who inform the government of neighbors who are doing so they make it you know some sort of remuneration if you hear your neighbor talking about charles being a catholic please tell us so that we can punish that person not for bad mouthing charles but for lying right because charles isn't a catholic right citizen right and so just take that and put it to any right we do not oh now you're gone completely uh, now you're back okay sorry okay. it's okay um but anyway we do not allow we want whatever is um we would not for example you you had the new york times suppressing a story about the president's son now why would that be necessary there's so much revealed in that one act yes right it's revealed that the new york times works on behalf of in this case joe biden well why would it work on behalf of biden because it it is works contrary to the interests of donald trump why would it do that because they know that the fringe benefits that they enjoy as the you know the mouthpiece of the establishment will not be enjoyed by them should an anti-establishment person be in charge so they sit on this story until it no longer is damaging until it no longer has the ability to affect the election so as soon as the election is over then they release information that could have swayed the election that's right and so that is the curtailing of freedom of speech because in that case you couldn't even speak of it because many people wouldn't have been aware of the, the you know it was like that's a conspiracy theory that's people who hate biden but the day after the you know the, the days after the election 
No, it's the New York Times. Right. And so you, but it's too late to do anything about it. And so the point is, if we can get these stories out through these, you know, letters that were so influential to our founding fathers that it made them, it made them aware. That, I mean, that's the thing that people don't understand, Mike, is that they didn't read these letters like, you know, th these weren't Agatha Christie novels like, ooh, I wonder what happens next. These were, this is our recent history. This is what happened. It will happen again if we do not do something to, to avoid it. We must be an obstacle to this. And it's easier to be an obstacle to tyranny if you know the road that tyranny typically travels down. Right. Because, and this, I think this is a key point and you've, you've mentioned this before and I, I don't remember the exact quote, but, but, but you'll get it immediately. It is so much easier to nip tyranny in the butt when it's small, when we know that, okay, wait a sec, this is heading down a wrong path. So we're going to like, we're going to cut it off at the knees right now. And um, when, you know, because if we allow it to go any further, it's going to turn into a Leviathan that we at some point can't control anymore. Right, exactly. And so it is, they want obviously the Leviathan, they want it to grow, they want it to, you know, um, it's that Sydney quotation where he says that the tyrants want to make it where the, by the time we learn of the remedy to their tyranny, it's too late to employ it. And that's, that you do that through the suppression of freedom of speech. If you can keep people from talking about something until, until it's too late, until talking about it does no good, let them talk about who cares, but it's too late for it to do any good. And so they've effectively deployed the weapon, right? Mm -hmm. It's like if you, if you chloroform somebody that doesn't, permanently keep them uh unconscious it keeps them unconscious for as long as you need them to be unconscious to accomplish whatever crime you're wanting to commit so right. that's what the freedom of speech is we will curtail it so long as it we can use it as a veil behind which we can carry on with the with the, the robbing of the people of their liberty and of their property. And we can, if we have this veil and we can always claim that there's some virtuous reason, the, you know, take away guns so that the streets are safer, take away guns so that the kids aren't getting killed, right? Curtail the freedom of speech so that we don't have good people afraid to run for office because they're afraid some whack job in Utah is going to kill them. We can't let this kind of stuff happen because it threatens all of us, citizen. No, it doesn't. But most people are have been now, after a hundred years of government-controlled education, most people are too stupid, too ignorant to detect the lies, to recognize the embryonic tyranny 
And so they let it grow. And once that, once that, you know, the muscle of tyranny develops in the body politic, it never atrophies, Mike. And right, it has to be cut out. <laughs> ult- ultimately, it has to be cut out. And so that's the, the, the game that they play. But if we believe that this tyranny is making us stronger, and if we call it by another name, if we call it safety, if we call democracy, it democracy, progress, equality, fairness, just, just put a name on it, right? And Trenchard and Gordon have a letter that say that. They, there must be a vast fund of stupidity in human nature because we keep falling for the same tricks. We just have to give it a different name. And, yeah. you know, there you I mean, this letter 15 is just I wish everybody that listened to you would just go out and just all you have to do is is read it for yourself. It, it's as long as you're willing to put in the hard work. I mean, there's just one after the other digestible gobbit of goodness in this thing, you know, uh Everyone who loves liberty ought to encourage freedom of speech. Yeah. The favorable opportunity of serving mankind by warning them of the hideous mischiefs that they suffer. If ever corrupt and wicked men shall hereafter get possession of the state and the power betraying their master, that is the purpose of the freedom of speech. There's a great quote um, where... um, and they're quoting, who are they quoting? Uh, Valerius Maximus? I yeah, think? Valerius Maximus. Yeah. Yeah. Shout on, gentlemen, shout on, and use those bold signs of liberty while you may, for I do not know how long they will be allowed to you. I mean, and he, the last paragraph, I think, is so uh, you, you know, you switch it up and say Americans, God be thanked, we Americans have neither lost our liberty nor are in danger of losing them. Well, we are. Let us always cherish cherish this matchless blessing, almost peculiar to ourselves, that our posterity may, many ages hence, ascribe their freedom to our zeal. The defense of liberty is a noble, a heavenly office, which can only be performed where liberty is. And I think, you know, that reminds me of the American Cato, the anti-federalist, who said, if you do not, through a little prudence and a little wisdom, prevent the tyranny now while it's in its infancy, then your children will be forced to, as he says, wade through seas of blood to do that which you could have done with just a small amount of prudence and wisdom. And here we have the English Cato saying, shout on because you don't know how long you'll be able to shout. So while you can, shout, warn about the hideous mischiefs of people in power because that is a noble and a heavenly office. That's all we need to know.
Joey, thank you, brother. You can find him at the New American. Uh, you can find him at Teacher of Liberty on YouTube. Oh, and, and uh, Apple and Spotify as well. Apple, Spotify, all the any, anywhere you get your podcasts, and you can find him right here on And If Love Remains. Thank you, brother, for being thank with us. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. Mike is gone. You are listening to And If Love Remains. Gone, but not forgotten. First of 23 installments requested by Dr. Levitt. Trying to be in compliance here because we're taking him and that whole organization down.